We are starting in a sermon series of Psalms. And in the Psalms, it's interesting because every emotion that you can possibly think of is categorized there. When you have people in a moment where they're celebratory, and then people when they are broken. People that are angry at their enemies and saying, God, strike them down. And in the next moment, God, have mercy on them. Every emotion that goes through in the Psalms were part of uh, the worship uh, that the Hebrews would sing. And so there's sometimes that's interesting where somebody will, I've heard this before, I find it always interesting, that somebody will hear a song and they will say, well, I don't really like that song. I remember at one point in time, a long time ago, somebody didn't like, uh, it came out and they were like, well, I don't like that song as the deer panteth. I don't like that song. Guess you don't like scripture because that's what it is. Even some of our songs that we have, that if you go back and you, you listen to what's going on, it's straight from the scriptures. And so, Today, we're going to look at one of the Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm, uh, a fourth Psalm. And if we go back and look at this one, we don't necessarily have all the context to what this Psalm is referring to. Psalm 3, um, right before it, is called more of a, a morning Psalm. And this Psalm actually deals with David when he was fleeing from Absalom. And we'll go a little bit into that depth, but four is known as an evening psalm. Now, there's a lot of different ideas on this one. Some people, because it's the evening psalm, they say, well, this goes along with Absalom. Other people say that this psalm is different, and Psalms 4 uh, deals with a totally different thing. There's no really context back to where it's at, but today, for our purposes, we're going to look at this as an evening psalm, as that written by David, but we're going to take this one looking at it as him of, a, of still dealing with Absalom. Now, what do we mean by dealing with Absalom? Anybody know about this story? Anybody know about Absalom? So here, the context of this psalm, David has different children, and there's other things with Absalom that won't get into, but Absalom at this point in time is a good-looking young man, and he has found a way to start to get the people on his side. And as he gets the people on his side, more and more he begins to, you know, if I were able to do this, I would give you the justice you're looking for. If I was, I would, so he, he ingratiates himself to the people. And as he ingratiates himself to the people, finally, all of a sudden, the time has come, some of his entourage says, we can take this. We can do this. It's time for you. It's time for you to rise up. And so the people go after Absalom. And David, David has to, Flee. And he flees, and he didn't, in this instance, he didn't do anything wrong. 
He wasn't leading poorly or nothing like that. He just, he had to flee. Now, if we look at Psalm 3 again, he talks about how his foes are many. Everybody's abandoned him. His people, but also some of the people that were close to him. And all this has happened to him. But he still knows that God's in control. And so when he lays down and he wakes up the next morning, he knows in this moment, God's protecting me, he's with me, right? And that's what he says. He knows this. But as it goes on into four, he's had a, and again, the evening psalm, if it goes with this, he's able to have had a night's sleep. At one moment, in Psalm 3, he's like, God, just break their teeth. Give me justice. And justice is something, as Christians, that we should be seeking and pursuing, should we not? We should be seeking justice, God's justice, within this world. But as he's had a night to reflect on it, he begins to say this. Now, again, Absalom is his son, and some of the people that have gone with Absalom have been people that he's worked with, part of his kingdom. And this is what he says. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your, of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now let's break this psalm down. In chapter four, verse one, it says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. It's interesting here that when we think of calling out to God in righteousness of New Testament times where we're at, our righteousness is Christ, right? Our righteousness, if we're going to appeal to God, is Christ. But David does something interesting here. David does something interesting and he says, answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Now, there's different ways that, that uh, commentaries that have gone through this and looked at it. We want to look at this through a New Testament lens. But this is Old Testament, is it not? And David here, the way he's saying it is, my righteousness. Look at what I have done. Now, as soon as we say that, that automatically freaks us out because we're like going, you can't say that, that's arrogance, oh my goodness. But let's think about what David is saying here. David is not saying that he's sinless. 
He's saying that God has given a law and given the law to the people and David, by faith, has done everything that God has happened according to the law, but we know he's not sinless. Why do we know? Because of Bathsheba. David sinned and committed adultery. And I don't know if we're aware of this. Do you know how long it took David to be confronted with his sin? Anybody know? A year. David committed, he saw Bathsheba, committed adultery. Uriah came home. David wanted to cover up his sin. So he was like, if I can get husband and wife to be together, then it's covered and I don't have to worry about it. But Uriah was like, I, the men that I fight with, why should I get? No. Uh, he would not do what David wanted to cover up. So after David had tried and tried and tried, finally he said, put Uriah in the most difficult part of the battle. And David was a good general. David was not only a good fighter, but he was a good general. He knew what he was doing. Premeditated murder. Go to the most difficult part of the battle, which didn't have to happen, but he put him in the middle of all that. And then he said, and then withdraw the men so that Uriah dies. And as soon as Uriah died and was killed and it was announced to him, he called for Bathsheba to come. And so it looks like David is comforting a widow and having a child. And he's an adulterer that deserves to be stoned because he's not above the law. He deserves to be stoned. He deserves to have his legacy thrown out in front of him and destroyed. And finally, Nathan comes to him as David has been living this way all this time. All this time, Nathan begins to give a parable to him. And as he gives the parable, David gets all upset because he's like, how dare somebody treat somebody like this? And Nathan looks at him and says, you are the person in that story that's the unrighteous one. You are the unrighteous one. And God's chosen to spare your life, but the child that's born to you will lose its life. When David, and, and this has already happened when he's writing this psalm and he's on the run. He's already on the run. The Bathsheba, this is part of his past. And he's on the run. But when he still appeals to God, he says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. He's not being arrogant or forgetting it. What he's saying is this, you have given us the law. This is what you have revealed. And I have done what you have called me to do to live out the law. Even David is a man after God's own heart is what the Bible calls him. And even wants to fulfill the law with a heart that's right towards God, but he's not sinless. Think about this. If you wanna go and look at Philippians 3, two through nine, even the apostle Paul had this thought 
process when it came to dealing with the law. It says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself, listen to this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor as the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Old Testament, this is what David's looking at, what has been revealed to him at this moment, not Jesus, not, but he is saying, God, by what you have given according to the law, I have pursued you, and it's been by faith. It's always been about faith with David. It's faith in the Old and the New Testament. David's going on, it's my righteousness is based on what you've called me to do, and I've trusted you that I can be righteous because you've told me to do it, and I've trusted in you to do what you've told me to do. Now, New Testament, New Testament is this, verse seven of Philippians three. But whatever I gain, I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, we've been given a whole different set of circumstances. The law was given to the Israelites to teach them how no longer to be slaves and that God, their God was different than Ra and anybody else. But no matter how many times they tried to live out the law, they never could accomplish it where it was supposed to be, but they kept the, those with the right heart kept the sacrifices with the right way. They would go before God. They would do those things. They would keep uh, the memory of the tabernacle. They would do those different things because that's what God had given. But no matter how many times they did the outward things to the best of their ability, it would never, it was never enough, right? Every year, the lamb had to be sacrificed. Every year, the innocent animal had to be killed because of the sin and the sins of the people. But then Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes. And he takes away the sins of the world forever for those who put faith in Jesus Christ. When I approach God now for help, I am not coming based on what I have done. I have come based in faith on what you have done. We can boldly come before the throne, not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. If you keep looking at your life and you're like going, I can't come before God because I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I did this wrong. I did this wrong. You're looking at the whole thing the wrong way. I don't approach Christ or I don't approach God based on what I have done. I approach, I approach God based on what Jesus Christ has done and that's my confidence. Why can I, become, why can I approach boldly? Why can I approach boldly the throne because Jesus Christ has done it all. And so when I come, I come humbly in the fact that I know that I am a wretched sinner, but in Christ, I'm a saint. I know what I've done, but I know what he has done is even greater. But as David comes here, David says this. 
He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Answer me because you have told me what to do, God, and I have done it by faith is what David's saying. He tells him, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Either this goes to the morning psalm that he had just done where he's been, uh, he's been pursued. He was able to lay his head down in peace and wake up the next day. He knows that God's, God, you have answered my prayers. When we go before God, God, you've been faithful before. What's gonna stop you from being faithful again? You're faithful. You're gonna glorify yourself. And then he says this, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Hear the boldness in the beginning of it, but also the humility. The boldness and the humility. This first point, it took a minute to get there, but this first point, you can confidently approach God in prayer in his righteousness. If you're going before God, and you're trying to pray, and you all you say is this, God, I don't even know if you care about me because I blew this, and I did this wrong, 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 and I don't even know if you want to hear me. I don't know if you're going to hear me. You're approaching him on your terms. Anybody ever had one of those prayers where you pray to God, but you don't know if he really wants to hear you because you've just really blown it that week? Anybody have that problem? There's moments I have that problem. I have to remind myself because there's things that I have done and I'm like going, God, there's no way you want to deal with me today. And if you do want to deal with me, it's you're going to have to, you're going to probably, you're probably going to zap me first. That's my immature way of looking at things, how I feel at times, how I feel. The reality is this, I can approach God confidently, not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. Which sins were not paid for on the cross? Which sins? When? The sins, when are they not paid for? And thus, I approach confidently. Humbly, because of this, I don't need to make excuses for my sin. I need to repent and to walk away, but I can approach boldly because those sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. David says this as he comes before it. Now, he does this. Oh, men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? Now, again, this is a song. This is a song. There's also this way of approaching. Oh, men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. And then he says this, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Our second point is this. You should care about the heart of those who oppose you. You should care about the heart of those who oppose you. When David starts out, he says this again in verse 2. Oh, men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? If David is dealing with Absalom in this psalm still, he is looking at this. My honor of being the king has been turned into a shame. You have run me off. You have taken that which is not rightfully yours. You have tried to usurp the throne that was not yours to usurp. 
How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? How long will you pursue these things? How long will you chase after these different lies? And then he says this, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now, again, we can think of this, that there's an arrogant moment here that David's saying, he's not gonna listen to you, but he's gonna listen to me. But we have to remember also with David. Remember we said that by faith, David has approached God. We know it's been about faith. How did he kill Goliath? Is it because he was this amazing 12-year-old? How did he kill Goliath? It was by faith. And watch this. And it wasn't because he was gonna do something like he had this amazing thing. You've insulted God's honor. Nobody else is standing up. God needs to be stood up for. But in this moment, also watch this. Why is, why is he saying that God will hear the godly? Because David knows he's not been godly. See, as David goes through this, remember what we talked about. Why does David, like he talks about breaking the teeth of them in Psalms 3, but all of a sudden he wakes up the next, or, or the evening, he's been able to have a moment to think about this. And now he's saying, you need to offer right sacrifices. You need to do what is right. There is a little bit of compassion because here's what God promised David. One, David committed adultery against Bathsheba and slaughtered Uriah, murder. According to the law, he should have been stoned, but God said he was going to spare his life, take the life of the child. But he also told David this, because of that, your household will have violence in it. There's a consequence. There will be violence within your household. So instead of David going after those people that have been with him, it makes me start to wonder in this moment if he's not had a little bit of time of understanding part of what's going on here, I caused. Part of the consequences of what's going on here has been part of my fault. See, why should we care about those who oppose us? Anybody got anybody that you just, we deal with so much opposition nowadays. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Maybe the world has always been like this. Maybe it's always been like this. I've never, I've never in my entire life seen so much opposition. And not to the point of just opposition, but to the point of a lack of caring of what people think. Why does David come before them? Again, in Psalm 3, he says, break their teeth. But now, as he's starting to think through it, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy, or you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How is God perfect? We know he doesn't sin, but also, we know he's fair, but also what does he do? His love is something that goes just as much as his justice, his love goes to everyone, to everyone. Why are we called to love our enemies? Because God does. Think about it. I was an enemy of God. The Bible tells me such. I was a rebel against God, an enemy of God. How do I know I was an enemy of God? Because he lays forth his standard of how I'm supposed to be, live, and relate to not only to him, but to other people in this world. How have I done on that standard? How have you done on that standard? And the standard that God calls us to do is an impossible standard for fallen people, but he does not lower the standard. He doesn't say, oh, I knew you were a sinner. I knew you couldn't do it. It's okay. No, he says this. No, I showed you the law, but I showed you the law because I love you so that you would recognize there's something deeply, inherently wrong with you and that you would cry out to me and beg for mercy of which I want graciously to give you abundantly to give you. I don't know why God would put any worth on human beings. I don't know why God would put any worth upon me at all. And yet he died to save humanity from eternal damnation. He was patient. The Bible says that he's patient not wanting any to perish. He's patient, not wanting any to perish. How many of you look at different people that oppose and say, they could be done today and I could care less. It'd be one less thing we have to deal with. True? Is that, am I, am I, am I tracking or not? Even the people that have nefarious and ulterior motives, I'm called to love with the love of Jesus Christ. 
and that they are of great value. The day that we look at people and we say their opinion is wrong, their facts are wrong, and no matter what about them, they could even say right now that Satan is the greatest and that if we would follow Satan, this country would be changed. There could be somebody that says that. And every moment, we better have a love and compassion. We want to speak the truth, but we want to have a compassion, even want to hear. Why? Because of this. Because I know that God can change anybody. And the day that I write them off is the day I look at God. I call that person a fool. Which the Bible says that if you call someone a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. Why? Because one, you have just said that that person, God made a mistake for making and they can never change. That's what you say. When you call someone a fool, that's what you're saying. That person, God, you made a mistake by making that person and two, they can never change. No way, they can never change. It's impossible. Nothing is impossible for Jesus Christ. Nothing. There is no person, you can think of the worst person. Hitler could have come to Jesus Christ in the very end. At the very end of everything, Hitler could have come to Christ and repented of everything and he would make it into heaven. That would absolutely, that would infuriate some people. That's only because you think that you're not deserving of hell. The power of the blood of Christ can save anybody. Can save anybody. When we relate to people, how are we looking at them? Not through, how are we looking at them through Christ? How do we speak love and truth to people in Christ? David, even though these people have come against him, he tells them this. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own heart's beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. Think about what is going on. Think about, for a moment, just Go before God, what's taking place? Be silent. Quit trying to, he's telling his enemies, quit trying to accuse. Be silent for a moment just to hear God. Do you know the reason why he can tell them to be silent? Because he's been silent. David's been silent himself. Trying to justify his sin. Nathan confronted him. Finally, he repents. He begs for his child's life. He goes quiet and he starts to go before God. Church, there is something here. You should care about the heart of those who oppose you because God cared about his enemies and we were enemies. How do you deal with somebody right now? How do you deal with somebody that has a crazy opposing view? What, hmm? So, so watch, here's the question. It's a, watch this, it's legitimate. Snooze them. Here's my thing. What happens when we choose to not interact and dialogue with people anymore? What happens? Do they, hmm? And there's no chance for the gospel to be at work. 
There's no chance to hear what's going on. Church, did you notice that the apostle Paul, when he goes into different places, in Acts 17, it tells him that he sat down and he reasoned, he reasoned with them. And he was fired up about the idols. He was angry about the idols. But instead of going out in this moment, he did something in a different tactic. He began to reason with them about their stuff. Now, some of them wrote him off. But some of them all of a sudden says, I wanna know more about this Jesus. There's all kinds of ways to approach this culture right now. There's all kinds of ways. But if we don't watch it, the only sometimes way we think is we think Old Testament, which God has a point of being bold and standing up. But I'm gonna share with you, if that's our only method for going out, you sinners, what's wrong with you? You have defied the almighty God. That's a legitimate thing that's happened. That's in the Bible, we can find that. We can see that Jesus did that, but that wasn't Jesus' only way of dealing with things. In each way, he was addressing the individuals he was talking to so he could best save as many as possible. When we don't care about the people that oppose us, we have gone into a dangerous part where we are God and we begin to say who's deserving and who can be changed and who can be transformed. There's tough conversations that need to be had. There's tough conversations right now about justice in our country that needs to be had. It needs to be had. There are things that are not happening of injustices. Now you can find the things on the side and you can make excuses all day long for the people that are causing problems and everything. There is still a legitimate real thing about justice that needs to be dealt with in our country. And Christians should be on the forefront of how the gospel gets in to dealing with justice. But if the only thing we do is we say, that person's over there doing this, and this person's over there doing this, all we've said is this, we know exactly what everybody's thinking at every single moment, at every single time, I'm God and I know exactly. David had humility, knowing that God, he pointed people to God, they needed to be changed by God because he still cared about his son, who even though was a traitor, even if you read back through there, he still says, don't take Absalom's life. Even though Absalom's the one that came after him and took his throne. We must think about how the Bible tells us in order to respond, speaking truth, but how are we loving? How are we listening? How are we engaging? How are we pointing people to Jesus? Be angry, do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. The last part of this. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Now that sounds nice and that sounds good and somebody's written this and so it's like, but but really what it's saying is this. David is pointing out to these people, here's the question they're asking. Ultimately, when they say, Who will show us some good? Lift up your light on the face upon us, O Lord. Basically what he's saying is, God, how come I'm not happy? God, you are responsible for my happiness and you are failing miserably. Isn't that what our complaint is? God, 
God, why is this going wrong? God, why is this going wrong? Why is this person doing this? Why is this family member doing this? Why is my boss doing this? Why is this taking place here? What's going on? God, I'm struggling. Make me happy. And somehow, since I'm not happy, you're at fault. Church, I'm gonna share with you right now, God did not come to make us happy. He didn't. He didn't. And if you are listening to preachers right now that are talking about how you can be greatly fulfilled and happy and content and peaceful, there are parts of that, that but I'm gonna tell you right now, some of that is a damnable lie that takes you away from God and Jesus Christ. Why? Because here is the truth. David's on the run still, right? David's on the run still, right? Evening Psalm, what he's writing, here's what he says. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. He's the one on the run. These people over here who have his throne are still wondering why they're not happy. They've got power, they've got all this stuff, and they're still miserable. And David says this, you know what? I have more peace and joy than you do when you have all the riches in the world. I'm on the run, and yet I can lay my head on a rock, and I'm totally at peace, whereas you are still complaining about that you're not happy. What's it take to be happy? What's it take? Because I'm gonna share with you right now. God blessed the Israelites with all kinds of things. Did he not? He, he blessed them to come out of slavery. And what was their response? Why have you done this? Send us back. We are gonna die out here. How dare you free us? What's wrong with you, God? It's taken them out of false, dead gods that can do nothing for them. And as soon as Moses leaves, they make a calf. It doesn't matter what God gives you. If it's about you, you will never be content. If it's about you, you will never be happy. It doesn't matter how many blessings God gives you. No matter how many you get until you recognize that your desperate need is this. And Abraham says it beautifully. Genesis 15, one, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, uh, the ESV says it this, your reward shall be very great. But no matter how you look at it and how you go back through the Hebrew and you look at what's going on, what's the great reward or I am your great reward, it is about God. If we don't find ourselves satisfied in God and not with anything else, you'll never be satisfied. Never. If God himself is not the greatest reward you can have, 
then it doesn't matter if he blesses you with wealth or health, doesn't matter what he does, fixes your family, does everything, it will never be enough. You will always complain, you will always be upset because you think that the world is about this instead of about him. Every time. Every time. What treasures or rewards could I receive that would be greater than God's presence himself? Think about the things right now that you keep telling yourself, if I have it, then I'll be at peace. What is it? Anybody wanna call it out? Probably not. It'd be indicting, wouldn't it? How dare we would ever confess and repent of things that are sinful in our life to each other, right? What happens if, you're a, what happens if you don't have a retirement? What happens if the whole thing got tanked or stolen? Would all of a sudden, with everything that you've worked for, would you begin to say, oh, how am I ever gonna make it now? What if a loved one turns on you and you say, how will I ever be at peace knowing that relationship? What about your health? God, you just tell me what to do. And then all of a sudden your health is taken and then you say, well, if I can't do what I want, then what's the purpose of living? I mean, these are real scenarios that we go through, is it not? Right? David is able to be at peace being dethroned. He hadn't gotten his throne back. It's been taken away from him. He doesn't have it. Who knows if he'll ever get it back? although he knows that God's faithful, but here's what he says. I can lie down at night because I have a great reward. The presence of God is with me. And thus, that's where I live. Church, I'll ask you today. Maybe you are on the top of your world right now. Maybe you're on the top of it. How do you view that as been given by God in order to proclaim and glorify him and to deal with those around you that oppose you? Maybe you are on the bottom of the world right now. Maybe you have lost all kinds of things. And maybe you feel like everybody's against you. Where does your confidence in? What is your hope in? Because either way, whether you're on the top or you're on the bottom, that doesn't change where God's at. He's on the throne. And he's encouraged and called and commanded all of us to love him and to love others, to proclaim him because my great reward is not heaven. My great reward is not seeing my great granddaddy in heaven. My great reward is not about not experiencing pain or suffering. My great reward is faith in Christ and he is here right now. So if I get a blessing, praise God, but I've already got the greatest blessing. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? And how will you take Jesus into this world around you?